0: welcome back to the duke and duchess podcast welcome i'm the duchess i'm the duke and we are here talking about scott lynch's The Lies of Locke Lamora, book one of The Gentleman Bastards. You
1: know it. We're in episode 37. Woo! That means we've done this 36 other times (laughs) that we told you about.
0: So we are talking about today two interludes called Up the River and the Half-Crown War and chapter eight, The Funeral Cask.
1: It's an exciting section.
0: It was super exciting, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Uh, next up, we are going to be reading Chapter 9 all the way through and including Chapter 11. <sighs> and hold on to your hats, because next week's is a really good section as well.
1: I'm excited to have a chunk to read, you know, a couple different chapters. So so that's good. Eking out like one chapter at a time, you know, has been tough. It's definitely been tough. But... But exciting, good stuff.
0: But you have an iron will over there.
1: I have something. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know what it is.
0: Why don't you tell everyone our I have spoiler a policy? penchant for
1: misery, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so our spoiler policy is very simply that Liz has read these books and I have not, so we will not spoil anything past the interlude titled "The Half Crown War."
0: That's right, and. I've got another Mary bike ride cliff for you before we get started.
1: Oh, fun times! Okay.
0: Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Mary bike ride or cliff? Okay. Jesseline, the black alchemist.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. Jesseline.
0: Nazca, the underworld princess. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. wait a minute. Current state?
0: No, alive, Nazca. Okay, thank you. All Living, right. Nazca. Okay, all right. Okay. All participants are living. Okay, good. thing. And you. Felice, the red-headed whore. Ooh. All three underworld characters of this book so far. Uh, I
1: don't even have to think about that.
0: Oh, lay it on me then. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we marry Nazca, we bike ride Felice, and we cliffed Jesseline, uh, Jellaline.
0: Jesseline <laughs> and Jellaline? Yes, both of them. Both of them. Over the Off cliff. the cliff.
1: <laughs> Over the cliff. And then we sell all their stuff for profit. Mad profits, yo. I like it. This is product. turning you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so one of the things that we've been doing since we've been doing Gentleman Bastards is we've been having this sort of getting to know you section where we ask each other questions about things related to the genre, related to literature, to give listeners a chance to get to know us, particularly those who have started out with us new since we ended Kingkiller and went to a different novel so this week it was my turn and what i've decided to ask are the top three characters in your fictional harem
0: oh we talk about our fictional harems a lot don't we
1: we do we do so i know nice. one of yours you do i do know one of yours yes. okay
0: which one is it
1: oh john Tannen.
0: Well, yeah we talked about of that of recently. course of course oh that's a good question so, so
1: who are the other two
0: Okay, yes, John Tannen, he's definitely, definitely in there. And of course, we've talked about Faramir
1: ah. on the
0: podcast, one of my, my enduring character crushes. A- and this is tough because I, this, I've just finished Brandon Sanderson's The Stormlight Archive, mm-hmm. and there is a character in there that I'm I'm just way into. His name is Adeline Kolin. But you haven't read it yet, and he's new. It's a new relationship. I'm not really sure where it's going to go from here. Um, So I have to say, (laughs) my number one, always and forever, number one's top spot in my fictional harem is Han Solo.
1: Okay. That's a good one. Right. That's a good one. Okay. Uh, You ready for mine?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. As long as they all are described as looking exactly like me.
1: They all do look exactly (laughs) like you. Every one of them. (laughs) Exactly like you. All right, proceed. It's amazing how that how that works. <laughs> so, so the first one is Ariane Martel. Looks exactly like you. Exactly <laughs> like you,
0: listeners. I look exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh,
1: the next one is uh, Jewel State from Firefly.
0: Oh yes, yeah. Looks exactly Kayleigh. like you.
1: Looks exactly like you. And uh, the last one is Aowen.
0: Oh, yes. See?
1: I know. I, when you said Faramir, I was like, look at that.
0: Yeah. The original the OG female badass. Yeah. The original Brangelina. Chick. Really? Like yeah.
1: Faramir and Eowyn. That's us. That's right. Absolutely.
0: Screw Aragorn. Whatever. And what's bro. her face?
1: Uh, Grody. <laughs> All right. So, Lies of L'Aquamora.
0: Right. Let's jump on in. Let's talk about it. Okay. So, what's your overall impression of this section? Man.
1: It was good. I, I had more hairbrained. oh, my God, I think I know what's going on, only to realize later, no, I don't know what the hell's going on. You did. <laughs>
0: you really did. You kept stopping this, and going, what? I oh, never out. mind. Never no, mind. No, wait a minute. Never that mind. didn't make any
1: sense. <laughs> I've done that more in this section than than any other section of the book. We're at that place where we're just starting to get enough Backstory and information to really start making wild-ass speculation So that's where it's fun. That's where it gets fun for me really difficult to stop reading
0: I'm sure it was I'm sure it was and we've had a couple of people on Twitter mention That they were trying to read along and this was the one that broke them. They just (laughs) They (laughs) they couldn't hang
1: Well, it's tough man
0: kudos So the first interlude that we read is called up the river. It's a flashback and Locke is being sent to live on a farm where he'll live out the rest of his days with a well, nice family. Well, at least three family. months. <laughs> so it's interesting. He's been sent to pasture. He's sent out to pasture, right?
1: Oh, long in the tooth, Locke. Down the way he went. His wagon and his old dog. Blue. Okay. Now go on. <laughs>
0: So since, I thought, since when
1: has my being stupid ever stopped you before? It's,
0: n- it's never. It's never. I just <laughs> needed to pause and give you a scathing look. All right. That's fair. Did it, you, are you it, scathed?
1: It plays very well on radio. <laughs> Good.
0: So um, I thought this section was interesting because it goes a little bit more into what Chains is doing, sending these kids out for these apprenticeships. Yes. And I think we get a little bit of an insight into some questions that we've gone back and forth about on the podcast as to a why are they able to pull off this scam with the temple of paralandro so basically yeah,
1: yeah we did get some answers yeah. you
0: have chains here pretending to be a priest and just keeping all of the money that's being given to the temple
2: mm-hmm. and
0: a lot of our listeners and and we as well kind of have wondered how does he get away with this isn't there any kind of overarching structure to this organization, and it it kind of turns out that there's not. So, and and also I thought it was interesting, so Chains is sending these boys into the very, and and Sabatha as well, into the various orders of priests so that they can learn um, the inner mysteries. They can pass themselves off as a full priest if they need to for a short period of time. And we also get some interesting backstory on Chains.
1: Yeah, this was a really good... Actually, both of the interludes were really good from a world-building standpoint. There's a lot of information about Kamor, a little bit more insight into the Eldrin, and we get a lot more in into Chain's backstory. So, Chains you know, Chains you know where he started, a, right?
0: He, where did he start?
1: He started at the bottom. Now he's here, riding Getting in a wagon. A good luck. right? Exactly. Good luck.
0: <laughs> so he he used to be a soldier, a black jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, which was one of the Duke's personal soldiers, um, not the City Watch. But he tells Locke a story about how all the boys of his village went and joined up because it was a bad year to be a village boy, mm-hmm. I guess. They weren't they weren't wearing feather headdresses at that not time. Not that they, year, no. no. The Apple
1: Harvest was bad.
0: Very and little YMCA going on as a village really person. <laughs> So they all went to become soldiers. NYPD
1: was coming down hard on dance clubs that year. (laughs) Wide collars, tall boots were out.
0: Nope. Yeah, it was no fun.
1: (laughs) Fucking joining the army.
0: (laughs) So of all the boys that went and joined the army, though, three came back.
1: Yeah, Um, which, which is interesting because we don't hear a lot about wars in the greater world. Like we don't get a lot of sense of kind of what's happening in the in the greater political spectrum. So it leads you to believe that there's just constantly wars going on and that people in the city are like, whatever.
0: <laughs> well, this, this conflict, I think, that Chains fought in has been mentioned before, and it's Duke Nicovante's rise to power. Oh, okay. And how he kind of consolidated yeah, power yeah, yeah. in the city.
1: Gotcha, yeah, that has been mentioned, yeah.
0: So you definitely do get... The impression that this world is constantly in conflict. There are yeah. these little independent city states that broke off from a powerful the Theron government at one point. And when the Theron government dissolved, we don't know exactly why or how yet. These city states were just kind of left on their own, and they just kind of are fighting all the time. Yeah. So with this Duke uh, the New- Duke Nicavante rose to power, and that was the conflict that chains and his village people. Nice. <laughs> uh, fought in. And so Chains obviously became a con man. Yes. Vandros, his friend, is the one who owns this farm that he is sending Locke to so that Locke can learn to be a, a poor person, if, a village person if he needs to. A poor,
1: poor <laughs> village person. Poor
0: village person.
1: Look, there's not the kind of money in village peopling <laughs> as there used to be. It's come back around recently, but there was a period, you know, in the early 90s where it was... It wasn't good.
0: It, they were out of style.
1: There was a village people bust, bubble.
0: A village people bubble bust. <laughs>
1: there was. There was the telecom <laughs> bubble, the village people bubble. The other thing I, I liked was hearing about, kind of already mentioned it, but how Chains being one of the few people who survived, but, but where he ended up when he was no longer a soldier, which was that he ended up injured and getting left at a church of Paralandro. So that was, I'm presuming, where he probably began his long, illustrious career as a priest of Paralandro and then eventually learned about the 13th God and just kept the mantle of Paralandro on. That's kind of what I suspect happened there.
0: I mean, that's an interesting speculation. I don't know if it's been confirmed that Chains is a priest of Paralandro or did he just stay with them long enough to To learn about them and then decide to take those suckers for all they were worth? don't know yet don't know don't know but the third village person who came back how many times can we say village person in he the was podcast the indian. the indian came um
1: sorry as <laughs> that, that is really not correct
0: that is not the preferred nomenclature that is not dude. the preferred
1: nomenclature no no he was an indian male dancer <laughs> okay entertainer So I'm sorry. We were talking about
0: village people.
1: Damn it! (laughs) Trying to get off of that subject. You've got me in a village people loop. (laughs) I'm in. I'm in this loop, and I keep waiting for the for the beat to drop, but
0: it's not going to drop. It's not happening. So change is sending Locke to the farm.
1: To, the, to learn to be a poor person. To
0: learn to be a poor person, basically. To like dance. like he doesn't have experience in that.
1: I just want to dance. <laughs> Get some turnips and dance. <laughs> poor person.
0: Poor person, right. Like a, like a poor person. And, and that's kind of, I think, the, the point behind this. We also, I think, get some interesting descriptions of the city. Yes. And once again, and it's significant, a description of the towers and how alien they are. So I wrote down one quote there. Uh, Locke says that when he's describing the towers it becomes evident that the creatures who designed them did not share an aesthetic sense with the humans who appropriated them. And that just keeps getting highlighted through the book. And I think it's important.
1: Yeah, that was actually one of my notes as well. So uh, for the same reason that it just is continuously pointed out, it's described in a way, particularly the, the five towers where it's this sort of rainbow themed tower in this huge, wide sprawling river. And there's a massive waterfall and there. Adjacent to each other in this bustling city, and it's like it's you're describing it like it's this sort of fairy tale kingdom, this you know magical place. But we've also had so much history about Camorre and just know how twisted and weird it is, and the descriptions of how alien it is. It it's sort of like fairy tale bizarro world in my mind. I
0: know, I love it.
1: It's interesting. Just love it. It's definitely interesting. The other thing I pointed out in this section that's in my notes here is it's not just that chains is sending them off to learn, which that's certainly a part of it as well, but it's also that it's a test, and that comes back around in the next interlude as well. That chains is you know putting these kids out there, and I mean he's not doing it in a way that where he's throwing them into impossible situations that are dangerous, but he is slowly giving them more and more and more difficult challenges and tests and seeing whether or not they're going to, they're going to pull through.
0: Right. And I like that this chapter ends with him saying, we need to see what you can do when you're off in a strange place, all on your own. And I think that's the last line of the chapter. And then we open the next chapter with Locke. In a strange place.
1: All by himself. All
0: on his own.
1: Absolutely. So, so this is chapter
0: eight. Chapter eight. The
1: grand confrontation. Yep. Ding, 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 ding. In this corner, we have Kappa ba Shave. In this corner, we have some poor schmuck who doesn't have a damn clue why he's here.
0: <laughs> That's accurate. Who do you
1: think's going to win?
0: Accurate.
1: <laughs> I know who wins round one. And it ain't Locke Lamora. <laughs>
0: This scene was so tense, I really loved it. I loved how he set up the tension following the funeral procession and and everyone in the town is shutting their windows and shutting their doors because this ominous procession of a hundred armed men and a, the funeral cask yeah.
1: and again, how has this not been picked up for a film
0: right it, I, it's, it's a matter of time or a I mean, TV show this yeah. is this is so would so perfectly fit on the screen it I really agree, would, yeah. So they go, and they go to this this place that's called the Echo Hole, which is basically a a cube of elder glass with a waterfall running through the back through like Mm -hmm. a a crevasse and one door, and and no other way in or out. And Locke is just standing there. mm
1: -hmm. It's like a part of the river has been routed through through an aqueduct, and it crashes through the roof and goes into a hole. It took me a while to kind of pick this up. Right it wasn't i don't think it was until i read it the second time that i fully understood kind of where everything was right and, you know so it comes through the roof goes into a hole down underneath of the floor into a cavern and where it stops nobody knows like right. it just goes into a goddamn hole in the ground right you know uh which could put, could be fucking bottomless for all anybody knows so yeah pretty ominous
0: Right, and we have we have Gene and Bug hiding underneath. Who knows what they'll be able to do if anything goes down, but they're there and I loved the scene with the gentleman bastards as they're they're getting ready for mm-hmm. this and they do their thing where the liar, liar, bastard. Yeah, and, yeah. and and Bug says something like, I'm only doing this because I love hiding in haunted Eldrin buildings on dark and creepy nights. Yeah. Liar. Liar. And they, they go through that little ritual that they have one mm-hmm. more time. I just love that. I, I love the character building that happens there.
1: Yeah, my favorite part of that is that it begins, it's like part of their tradition, you know. And it begins when Eagle Bones, Eagle Claw, the falconer, says, uh, hey, Locke, it's time to get in position. And, and he's like, oh, okay, we have to do our little traditional thing here. And then, you know, it ends with Locke saying, we're the only ones able, you know, smart enough to do it and dumb enough to get caught, right. you know, and made to do it, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then they go, bastard. And then the falconer says in in Locke's brain, are you insane? We, I can hear you. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you, dummy? <laughs> right. You know? The uh, the other thing I, I did not catch the first time around is that John says, if something goes wrong, remember to throw yourself down the damn waterfall mm-hmm. and I'll, you know, I'll be there. And I, I can't for the life of me imagine what the hell he's going to do. But it's interesting that that's how the chapter ends, albeit not at all how anyone had attended Locke to go down the waterfall, right, but he did go down to where we believe Jean is waiting
0: right so at at this point, the Kapo Barsavi file and all his minions they're filing into the echo hole, and it describes them coming in two by two with their torches they' stupid like three beards dragon's eyes and and their three beards oiled and glistening and
1: stupid that's why I can't get behind this guy the three beards stupid three beards if you want to maybe bra- it's
0: a cultural thing
1: no it's a stupid thing <laughs> one of these days i'm going to run into somebody who's got a beard braided into three braids and they're going to be a really good person and i'm going to feel dumb
0: you're going to feel bad
1: i'm going to feel really bad but this character's an asshole
0: <laughs> agreed definitely an asshole So the Kappa comes in and he's got it figured out. He's, he's feeling pretty confident, Uh, but the Falconer is reassuring Locke mentally with his weird thing, his weird mind voodoo. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. And sure enough, when the Kappa lets loose a a slew of crossbow bolts, they stop. Mm -hmm. They they, they don't touch Locke. So Locke at this point is feeling, okay, so I'm probably not going to die. Everything's going to be okay. And, one of the, the Kappa's henchmen that Locke knows comes up and starts moving towards Locke like he's going to touch him. Mm-hmm. And Locke's like, Oh, poor Eamon. Mm. No, please. I, I hope he doesn't get killed. Oh, no, poor Eamon. Eamon does not get killed. Walks right up and grabs a hold of him. The falconer does not kill him. The,
1: not only does the falconer not kill him, the falconer doesn't do shit. In fact, the falconer for the rest of this chapter is fucking gone.
0: Pretty much. Gone. So this is the point where Locke realizes that he's fucked. Because proper fucked. He is proper, proper fucked. Absolutely yep. here. Uh, the, the rumors that have circulated about the Grey King have been repeated over and over that he can't be pierced, he can't be touched, and he can, he'll kill you if you touch him.
1: Yep. Yeah, he can't be cut or pierced.
0: Right. So Amen by grabbing him, just opens the floodgates. And, and now that everyone knows that he can be touched... Locke is grabbed up and pretty much has the crap kicked out of him.
1: Oh, yeah. They beat the hell out of him. They're beating him up and Kappa's saying, I bet you're pretty damn confused right now. You're one surprise son of a bitch, aren't you? And then he proceeds to tell him that one of his men, so one of the Grey King's men, came in that morning and told him that the spell was all bullshit. And he told him that he he was so confident that he dismissed his bonds mage, which we know, obviously, not to be true. And it just, you know, I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, this is precisely what the Grey King wanted then. The Great King wanted Barsavi to do this. He, it's why he sent the guy. There was nobody escaping for you know or ratting him out right because he's telling him bullshit lies it's all somebody who was sent to do that so this is precisely what the gray king wanted to happen
0: and he's telling him exactly how to kill Locke. Mm -hmm. basically the gray king's man told him that that the gray king can't be cut or pierced but he can be bruised he can be touched
1: and he can damn sure be drowned and he
0: can damn sure be drowned in a bucket of horse urine So Locke quickly realizes, you know, it goes through his mind. What do I do? Do I just tell the truth? Mm -hmm. But he quickly realizes that he's already shown that a Bond's mage is protecting him. He's shown that he's involved with the Grey King somehow. And he realizes that he's going to have to sacrifice himself. There's no way out of it. But if if he does speak up, his friends will be next on the list.
1: Mm -hmm. So he... Might as well just him die rather than everybody die. it,
0: It doesn't even occur to him to do that. No. So he just kind of gets ready to be horribly murdered.
1: Yeah, and they, so I forget precisely where. Let me check my notes. So yeah, it was right at the point where after the Kappa has told him about the person who is, you know, broken free from the Grey King and about all the ways that he can be injured that a voice in his head says, sewn up, sewn up as in sewn with a needle and thread. But the voice is not the voice of Eagle Claw. So whose voice is it?
0: You know, I kind of took that as being that's just his inner voice was saying that, mm. but but I don't know. Did you take it as being something more than that?
1: I did. I thought of it as being more than that, but who, but who knows? Who knows? It, it, the thought did also cross my mind that it could have been his own right. as well. It, cross, it could have been him. It could have been the Grey King. You know, hard, hard to say.
0: Well, he is well and truly sewn up. Absolutely. At oh, this he is. point.
1: And they throw him head first into a huge barrel of horse piss and seal it up and roll it down the waterfall.
0: And so we've seen Locke being, he starts out the book in a place of power and richer and cleverer than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And now we've seen him slowly become more and more powerless. And I think we see here, this, is, this has got to be like the height of his powerlessness. You know, he's literally shoved in a barrel, full of horse piss, left for dead, thrown over a waterfall. Yep. So it's just interesting to watch this progression and see w- what's going to happen next. So we also had what a... What
1: the fuck is going to happen next?
0: One of our listeners, I think it was Theo... Had a comment about this section and that he felt it was a little Bond villainish.
1: Yeah, I had that in my that, notes that later. That Barsavi
0: yeah. was so very intent on seeing him dead that, and then he just kind of puts him in the barrel and throws it off and doesn't wait the the three minutes or whatever for him to actually drown and confirm that he is drowned.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: it doesn't occur to him that oh, maybe there's people down da- down below who might be able to pull him out of the barrel. Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting. So, what did you think of that? Did would you agree?
1: You know, I it didn't cross my mind until he said it that it was sort of Bond villain-like. You know, the in, the incredibly slow dipping mechanism, right? right? <laughs> you know, the laser between that's going to come between the crotch, but it's going to take, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to take 14 minutes for it to get there. <laughs> you know? I could never find a way out between now and 14 minutes. So it didn't really cross my mind until he said that, but it was a good point. I sort of felt like... You know, you throw somebody in there, you seal it up, you start banging on it with a, um, you know, hammers and mallets and all that stuff. It, plus the fact that it's urine, like, like I, f- I feel like m- most, most people would have been half dead by the time the thing was sealed up.
0: You're probably right.
1: Like, it's so fucking caustic. That and- not just the drowning, but the poisoning from nitrogen and I, I you know
0: well not to mention being beaten to a pulp yeah
1: that too and bloody and bleeding and all I, like so it I think in my opinion that's probably a little overdone and if it didn't have the sort of poetic justice of that being what happened in Nazca then I I might have felt that that was a more valid argument not that it's not a valid argument it's completely valid but but I sort of feel like when it's balanced with that sort of poetic justice of you, this is what you did to my daughter. This is what I'm going to do to you. I don't feel like it, it doesn't smack as much of Bond villain.
0: Well, and also the, the emotional speech he gives afterward. And this is a great villain speech. Yeah. You know, he turns around after he seals up the barrel and the barrel's thrown over the waterfall. And he says, somehow I don't think the poor fucker did as well as he hoped in our negotiations. Yeah. <laughs> And then he's like, "Ha ha ha!" And throw open the gates, and we're going to feast. And yeah, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. the gods themselves will look down and say, "What the hell is that racket?" And, yeah. and then he ends it by saying, "Tonight, Camor has seen the last of kings." So, I mean, that's you know, that's a lot of speech speeching to do. It is. I it's can a- see why you wouldn't want to wait three minutes to make sure your enemy was <laughs> actually dead. Ooh,
1: ooh, ooh, I got, I got to get this out now. <laughs> Fuck, throw that asshole over. <laughs> well, the other thing too is uh, they're throwing him into a hole in the earth that goes, I mean, there is a splash at the bottom, so it's not like it goes for forever, but like, it's pretty unlikely that anybody would go down there and survive unless they hit hit the water and the barrel breaks.
0: Well, and it occurs to me, too, that Bug and Gene knew of a a tunnel under the echo hole. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's common knowledge that people could even get down there.
1: Yeah, true, yeah. Yeah, and it, it sort of makes me wonder, I mean, a barrel filled with horse urine not to mention a human inside of it i mean got away six seven hundred pounds i know Jean's strong but he's not going to catch it so so until it hits the bottom there's not a whole lot anybody can do Mm -hmm. you know they can grab the barrel and break it open and that's about the best they can hope for Mm -hmm. and and i think it's reasonable for the kappa to assume that even that being beaten to a pulp thrown in the barrel, the barrel being caustic, thrown over the impact from dropping however long, even mm-hmm. if the barrel does smack open mm-hmm. and break I think I think it's reasonable to think most people wouldn't survive that mm-hmm. I also think uh, it's you know there's zero percent chance that Loch Lamora dies as a result of this so well that's fair what does that mean? I don't know it means it's it's an interesting story We'll see what happens.
0: So that's the end of our current story. We kind of have that big conflict. And then we go into another interlude. Yeah. So that's kind of tough.
1: Yeah, it kind of sucked. <laughs> Not gonna lie.
0: <laughs> but this interlude is one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. I think there's so much good character stuff that goes on here. And it's just a really good little little story.
1: It is, yeah. Would you was agree? An- yeah, it was. It was enjoyable. Yeah, it was interesting to me to show just how... Just how much Locke is willing to endure and just how spiteful he can be just to get back at a motherfucker and get over on him.
0: Well, and I don't think that this whole, the whole adventure in this interlude is about Locke getting revenge. It it was about him passing another test.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good point.
0: And, and about not wanting his gang to have to bow and scrape to anyone else. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but it definitely speaks to Locke's pride. So let's kind of go from the beginning. Um, And this is actually the part in the the interlude that was talking a little bit more about the apprenticeships.
1: Yeah, correct. It was mentioned
0: in the first one. It goes into it a little more in this one.
1: Well, it talks about the apprenticeships in the first one. This is the one where it talks specifically about all the different churches.
0: Right. And And how the boys infiltrate them until they get to a stage where they are able to learn some of the the secret handshakes and stuff. Mhm. And then they fake their own deaths and, in and, various amusing ways. Yeah,
1: and they all have their own you know way preferred ways of doing it, which right. I, of course I thought was was pretty pretty funny and pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: So that's interesting and it seems like it's probably going to be significant at some point. Um, but it also answers again, the question of how much structure is there to these, and how are they getting away with all of this? And I think one piece that we've been missing is how deeply superstitious the people in this world are. And and I use the word superstitious versus devout because, because they don't the, feel emotionally connected to their gods. Yeah,
1: the people who are throwing bent coppers into the bucket at The Church of Paralandro, they're not doing it because they have a deep compassion for orphans. They're doing it because they either want, you know, 50 years good health or because they don't want to be. Cursed. It like you said, it's a superstitious belief in. Oh, I better do this, or else the boogeyman's going to get me. You know,
0: right? They're they're not emotionally connected to their gods, but they truly believe that they will smite you if you piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> so their whole system of belief seems to be about keeping the gods off your back. Yeah. But they truly, truly believe there. Are, it seems like there aren't a whole lot of unbelievers. It's interesting that these people live in a in a city that was built by super powerful aliens mm-hmm. who were chased away by something. And I wonder if this superstition is like a holdover from that. Like there are stories that aren't remembered, but this idea of something all powerful that's going to smite me is kind of lingering in their belief yeah, systems. What
1: I mean, think about it this way. What if our history, what if the American you know North America USA what if our history instead of being what it was was that the native americans were 20 foot tall titans and we had these huge relics of what they had built and what they had done and they were like the sons of gods and they were and 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 we have you know archaeological evidence that this really happened and then one day instead of it being George Washington with a cherry tree you know it was a You know a group of enormous you know 40 foot long you know wings snakes or i was gonna say eagles the american bald eagles came and ate all of the Titans slash american indians and all of a sudden you know they were gone and they were sent down by gods to to wipe that scourge from the earth do you think church attendance would be higher
0: i I mean i kind of want to go church right now
1: You know, if that was your actual history, and that was a real thing, and God sent down 40-foot-long winged, you know, eagles to eat the Titans because his God didn't like the other God, your ass would be in church every Sunday.
0: <laughs> so it even says, and the one quote that I wrote down is, to any priest of a, of any Theron order, the thought that someone would be audacious enough to offend the gods, falsely seeking initiation was utterly alien.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, you just—they just—, they just wouldn't even occur to them that someone would do it and yeah. that's how change is able to get away with
1: absolutely. it. absolutely <laughs> it's no. it's sort of like a big part of how they get away with their cons is because nobody else has conceived of the concept of a confidence scam like they just haven't conceived of it yet so they're just so much more susceptible to it not to mention the skill of the general ambassadors on top of it
0: right and the the idea that anyone would put as much time and effort as they put into <laughs> to steal something right
1: <laughs> it's pretty remarkable so what what actually happens plot wise in this section is that the boys are paying attention to something you know amusing happening in the harbor and when they're not paying attention to their surroundings, a group of young kids kind of sneaks up on them. And these are the seconds of the crowns,
0: full crowns, full
1: crowns. Yeah. So the seconds, meaning the young kids that they've
0: the apprentices, the
1: apprentices. You right. know, so so the same sort of thing that chains has, but you know, the, but the crowns are a much, 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 much larger gang. And so these six kids surround the twins and Locke, because Jean's away training, and they proceed to beat the shit out of them and tell them, you know, with some nice, clever quips, you know, no hard feeling, boys. We just want all your money and you to say that we're better and kiss our ass. And if you don't, we're going to come back tomorrow and do it again. Right. You know, and they come back to Chains, and Chains is like, well, yeah, looks like you got your ass kicked. Uh, So what I would encourage is a nice, friendly turf war. (laughs) Right. If you don't get the better of those kids that have 14 (laughs) times your numbers, I'm going to be real disappointed. Consider this another test.
0: Uh, Well, what he actually says is, next time, make sure you have Jean with you. Yeah. (laughs) And... Try to make it look like you're just the pack of ordinary sneak thieves that I'm training you to be. Yeah. So, so no crazy. <laughs> no. Don't bring false a watch plagues. into it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Don't get them all. Don't killed. burn anything down. Yeah. Don't put them on a ship and drown it. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like.
0: So like, really, Locke's got one hand tied behind his back.
1: Yeah, he kind of does. <laughs> and,
0: and I like that. And and they they mention the concept of soft talk. Yeah. Only, which means no weapons, no killing, no crippling. Yeah. So it kind of like sets the rules of this little turf war. But then he kind of lets them go. And I love that the Chains was kind of like, oh, yeah, I heard that might happen. Yeah. I, I heard some of the, the full crown saying they were going to send their guys out to, to harass the younger people. Well,
1: and it's interesting, too, that even at this stage, because this is, you know, pre Kappa Barsavi, but there's still rules. Is
0: it? No. No. Kappa Barsavi is the Kappa at this point because it's Locke is.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. Taken I'm sorry. To him. Yeah, you're right. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, It was five years before this, that cop of our Bar- so came into power. Right. Yeah. Had that a little confused. Um, but either way, there's, there's all these rules, right? you know, there's these rules to being thieves. Right. So it's kind of interesting. The, my favorite part of this whole section is the second time. So they go back the next day and they're sitting there in the same spot and the same crew surrounds them again. And like you, you idiots are dumb enough to come to the same place, you know? And so they, they, uh, you know, they surround him and everything's going the same way. And Locke says, yeah, but we've got a secret weapon you don't know. And there's John Tannen standing there. And they turn around and they're like, who's this doughboy?" And he says, I'm the ambush.
0: I'm the ambush.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty clever. I like that. I like it too. I enjoyed that part.
0: And, and I like, we see how egalitarian the underworld is in the city and kind of everything in the city is. There's some chicks there and John's not afraid to throw him into the wall face first and they're, yeah, they're yeah. punching and, and it's, it's not even, I think he says like, excuse me ladies. But then he's like, yeah, you're going to kick the crap out of me. I'm going to kick the crap out of you. And that's yeah. kind of how we seen. Yeah.
1: This just seems to, from a gender standpoint, just to be a more egalitarian society than a lot of other societies that we've seen. So it ends when Locke gets an idea and this, I thought this was a very clever idea that he's going to go ahead and allow himself to be cornered. This is after, you know, This has gone on on for for months. They keep trying
0: to catch the other guys without John with them. mm -hmm. Whenever John's with them, they just run away.
1: Yeah, so this has been going for months and months and months and months. And so Locke is trying to finally get the upper hand within the constrained rules that Chains has given him. And so what he devises is that he's going to go out, allow Tesso to catch him, but then when Tesso wants to grab a hold of him, he's going to make sure that Tesso can't let go.
0: And so Locke has a, a special sleeve and, and some cords sewn into his shirt. And when Tesso grabs him, he whips this long sleeve around and cinches it to some cords that are wrapped around and just basically ties himself to Tesso. Yeah. Chest to chest. Yeah. And Tesso is like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, what The idiot? hell is your problem? And uh, he says, you can't fight me. And he says, I don't have to fight you, sucker.
1: I just got to hold on long enough for Jean to get here. <laughs>
2: My favorite part. <laughs> it
1: was a good part. It was a good part. <laughs> for sure. So the the part that is interesting to me about this whole section is sort of what hasn't happened yet. What's that? Which is that we are halfway through the book. We have been we have been with the gentleman bastards in present day for quite a long time. Well, not really, and the span of days has probably been like a week or something like that, a week and a half. Okay. But in the in the interludes, we've been with the gentlemen bastards for like two years, right? And yet Sabatha still has never been present. Yep. Always mentioned, a part of the family, mm-hmm. but conveniently, every interlude we've had, she's never around.
0: And that, that's one of the things that really, for me, with the first time I read this, made this book stand out for me. That you've got this love interest who's mentioned, 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 but like not there consistently for so much of the book. Yeah. I, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, what's your impression of that?
1: I'm starting to get annoyed.
0: Are you really?
1: Yeah. Starting to get annoyed. But I have kind of a, it, it's kind of a part of my prediction though. So, given that, are we ready for predictions?
0: Yeah, I think Do that we, that's, we're actually kind of at the end of the Yeah, we are. Did read, I? So. I want to
1: make sure I haven't skipped anything that you wanted to bring up.
0: Nope.
1: Okay. So, my first prediction in relation to what we just said is, I think this event with the Grey King, I don't know how, is going to lead to Sabbath coming back into the picture. I have no idea how. No evidence for it. I just think that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, this is a big... A big sort of precipitating event, halfway through the book. It's clearly not the third act yet. We're just sort of getting started. But I suspect in the next couple of chapters, Sabbath is going to pop up, and it's going to somehow be related to this event. No
0: idea why. Okay.
1: All right. So my other one is the man who went over the gray. It's the man who went over to the Kappa was sent there as a plant by the Gray King. I think that's. that's a good prediction. I think that's pretty pretty obvious actually and the other part and I had to think about this for a while but I think that the Grey King's plan was to get to to get Barsavi to think that he had killed the Grey King so that the Barsavi's guard would come down and he would come up out of the floating grave and now he's going to get the whole town drunk Mm -hmm. they're going to revel they're going to raise Cain and I think that's when the Grey King attacks him.
0: Good prediction. We'll see. We'll see.
1: All right. Are you ready to hear some interactions from yes. our, from our uh, listeners? So we have a, a letter for Dear Duchess. Oh, nice. So it says, Dear Duchess, so I have a best friend. Really, I love him and he doesn't know it. Sure, I trimmed the verge a few times, even dropped some eaves at one point, but alas, he remains unaware. <laughs> now, an old friend of his with a stupid beard and a silly gray hat, not that there's anything wrong with that, has filled his head with tales of adventure and asked him to deliver some trinket someplace. He said the fate of the world depends on it. Drama queen. Despite being ignorant of the whither twos and why fours, I agreed to accompany him. What's worse, on the way he met someone, a balding gentleman with some kind of personality disorder, bipolarism, multiple personalities, not that there's anything wrong with that. And they get along like a house on fire. They came up with pet names for each other, Smeagol or something that sounds like fresh us for my beloved. Anyway, we're resting on a fiery volcano, having been there before, going back again. And and just as I was about to tell him how I felt, we were interrupted by some big annoying birds and they snatched us up and they ruined my moment. Duchess, how do I find the right time to tell him the truth? He's going away on a boat soon to some magical faraway land full of pointy-eared locals. Not that there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> the not-so-wise-as-my-name-implies Gamgees, Middle Earth. <laughs> so, dear Duchess, what does Mr. Gamgees do?
0: Well, listen, Gamgees, I, I think at some point you have to acknowledge that not every love is meant to be. It sounds like you've been trailing this guy for quite some time, and if he, he's remained clueless for that long, it may be because he wants to. So I would suggest thinking about whether you'll be able to move on with your own life. If this guy is wanting to go off to an island without you, he's probably not going to be that into you. And sometimes we just have to accept that. Marry Rosie Cotton, have a couple of gorgeous little halfling kids yourself, yeah. and get on with your life.
1: It's time, man.
0: It might be time.
1: You got to move on. Move on. You got to move on, bro. You got to move on. And sleep with women. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that.
0: Not that there's anything wrong with
1: that. I don't know where that came from. All right, so. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah, that was a good one. I, good job. Good job. Very, very clever. like it. So, Daryl Mansell put on our Facebook uh, podcast group, favorite and least favorite fantasy tropes per our discussion last time, and he said his least favorite is the all-knowing wizard, and his least favorite <laughs> is the one person from the backwoods town that becomes the savior. He's so looking at you, Frodo and Rand Thor. <laughs> and and uh, Theo came to correct him. He's like, I think you you miss something. You 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 need to edit your thing. And he said, Nope.
0: <laughs> both his least favorite. No, those are
1: both my least favorite. You know, what? said exactly what I meant. I don't to have say. a
0: problem with the wizard, but I agree that the backwoods hero as a as a way to be able to kind of lazy way to be able to explain your world building. It, it's it's done. It's been done a lot. Yeah, it's definitely been done
1: for yeah. sure. And then he also had a post on there where he took some photos of himself. And he said, the best way to read a big, fat fantasy book is in a Duke and Duchess t-shirt. And he's got his Boom. D&D podcast
0: t-shirt on Boom. and his
1: enormous Brandon Sanderson novel.
0: I loved it. Loved so, that post.
1: <laughs> I hope you like the t-shirt. Theo said, and Theo said a lot of things. I want to I um, say something because I want to be clear. Theo writes very long posts. And so I can't quote the entire thing. But I love the in-depth, very long post. He puts a lot of thought. He
0: has great points. Yeah,
1: a lot of thought into what he's talking about. So one of the things he said is uh, one thing that, and so I'm going to selectively choose points that he raises. So one thing that stands out for us is the notion that it sounds like you do. your are 25 years as a soldier, and then you get your land, but only for the rest of your life. Was I alone in reading it that way? Uh, no, no, Theo. That's that's what they say. Yeah, you get a chunk of land. You know, you you join when you're 16, you know, and then you come out when you're 41, 25 years later, you're broken to hell because you spent 25 years marching and warring. And if you managed to survive, you probably got a lot of battle scars. And then they give you a chunk of land that you can probably only realistically work for the next 15 to 20 years before you stroke out and die. And then they kick your family to the curb.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much how, that's how it what, works.
1: Yeah, that's how it rolls. And yeah, it's shitty.
0: It ain't easy to be a village person. No,
1: it ain't. You got, you got sacrifices you got to make.
0: Yeah, so again, it just highlights how brutal this world is. It's a shit society. It is a shit society, pretty much. And it, I think it's so interesting how that is sort of overlaid against what we speculate the Theron throne was like and what things were like when there was a, a central government and how things are now, which is just basically petty warlords who make themselves dukes and like don't give a crap about anybody else.
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So he says, anyway, chapter eight. eight, oh man. So the Grey King's plan all along was to make Barsavi believe he'd killed him. And, and yeah, yeah, that's what I think it is, too. Yeah. I absolutely think that's what it is. And, and this is where he brought up the Bond villain thing, which we'll skip because we talked about it. The other thing he he pointed out, he said, one thing I was surprised by was realizing that Gentleman Bastards is the open name of Jane's gang. It seemed odd. I mean, the name only makes sense to me in the context of the crimes they commit. But their front is as petty thieves who pretend to be paralange and Priest. Am I alone in concluding that? And I thought the same thing. I didn't I didn't think much of it the first time I read the chapter when I went back to take notes I'm like wait a minute they're like just openly calling themselves the gentleman bastards but the gentleman bastards you know doesn't make as much sense when they're just like really petty low level you know window knockers like
0: my impression is that the names of the gangs especially as the decades go on aren't really that significant. I mean, you've got the full crowns they're and who knows not. how that game yeah, name yeah. came about, but now it's just what they're called. Yeah. So, and I think that that's chain's little deliberate middle finger yeah. to Barsavi because we know what he thinks about the secret piece and that he's deliberately doing this. So I, I think it's, that's very likely that chains would kind of deliberately do that knowing that nobody's going to overthink why the gentleman part of the bastards, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think you're right there. Because, again, the full crowns aren't really, they're not saying that they're all actually kings, you know?
0: Right. And, and again, we know that Barsavi knows Chains quite well. They came up together, and it's implied that Chains helped Barsavi take the city. Yeah. And that, it, in return, Chains is allowed to do whatever the hell he wants without too much prying or oversight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's also implied that, so... If that's true, Barsavi would know Chains and know that he's educated. And Barsavi himself is educated. You know, he was a professor. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be that unreasonable for him to think of himself as a gentleman or want to call his gang the Gentleman Bastards. But it's a good point that's raised.
1: Yeah. So one thing we haven't done for a while is we haven't gone back and thanked folks who have come onto our Facebook page and liked it. So I want to go back and and catch up on some of those. I don't think we've... We may have duplicated a couple of these, but I don't think so. So thank you to Peter Rolfe, to Elliot Cossum, Kirk Jackson, Ben Goh, Dob Babalina, Carlos Correa, Carlos Casey, Carolina Sandoval, and Autumn Dawn. Autumn Dawn, what's that flower you have on? She's heard that joke a million times. So,
0: I guarantee she hasn't.
1: are you What are you saying?
0: I'm saying that's a weird, obscure song.
1: (laughs) All right, fine. That's not surprising. All right, so uh, some interactions here on Twitter. So Adam at LFC Adam88185 says, has Liz read any good books that use time travel?
0: That is a very good question, and it's funny because I was just thinking recently about a book, a time travel book that I read, and I couldn't remember the name of it, but I was like, what was the name of that? It was so interesting, so I looked it up. It's called The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August, hmm. and it's by um, Catherine Webb, or her pseudonym is Claire North, so I think I've seen it. It's been published under both of her names, but it's called The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August, and it's a really interesting take on time travel, and it really grabbed me because it it's not the only book that's explored this premise, but the premise that it explores is one that I have thought about since I was a kid and have spent a lot of time thinking about. Hmm. So the premise, without giving too much away, is that these time travelers in the book, basically, they live their life and when they die, they're reborn into their same life with their memories intact. Hmm. So somewhere around toddlerhood, they like gain awareness and they remember everything until they die again and then they go back Hmm. and back. And, And so it's, it's really kind of a very deep, it's less of an action. There is some like world in peril stuff that goes on and critics of the book um, say that it's too slow for them, but I like it because it's really a good character piece hmm. and it's something that I've always thought about. What would happen if I, if I was like fe- woke up and found myself in my younger body with my memories now? What would I do differently or would I do anything differently? And I don't know. I've spent way too much time thinking about that. But You were
1: not the only one.
0: Oh, okay, good. So anyway, it's just a very interesting premise of what, what does that actually look like and the society of these people that they, w- what they do with that power and how it changes them as as people. It's very interesting. Mm. So if you're looking for kind of a slow burn, almost low science kind of time travel book, um, The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August.
1: Good, good. So his other question is, do you think that this first book would work in the modern day? So Lies of Locke Lives Lies of Locke
0: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess I can kind of see it.
1: I think if you take the the whole Eldrin part out of it, then I could see it working.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what's so interesting for me about this book, though, is the setting and this sort of like de' Medici Venice setting. And I think it fits so well with the culture and the people.
1: And the themes. And the themes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I love like that there's all the canals in the city and the the slums intermixed with these weird alien structures. I I think that just really makes is what makes it so interesting for me.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting setting. I like the setting quite a lot. It's I've been going back and forth recently thinking which setting do I like better? Do I like do I like the setting from King Killer better, or do I like this one better? But again, it's just different. Right. It's just different. So, Travis Dundas says, I've been trying to read along with the podcast, but I couldn't stop at the designated place this episode. There was no way I could leave that unresolved for a whole week. I wish you luck, Dukes. Not sure how you'll do it.
0: <laughs> well, tonight you can go upstairs and read.
1: I'm excited to read. <laughs> excited to get back to it. So, uh, Theo also says, I love how you guys put chains with a Z in your Locke Lamora tags on the blog. Like people searching for 2 chains will also be Lynch fans. (laughs) I'm just glad somebody caught it. That has nothing to do with 2 chains. That's just being true to who we are. Yeah. We we like to entertain ourselves.
0: We're the most metal (laughs) of all the fantasy podcasts.
1: Yes, we are. You know it. It can't be denied.
0: It cannot be denied.
1: Cannot be denied. So Adam says, I entered the uh, D&D podcast competition a couple of months back, and I won. And this little bugger made its way all the way across the pond. And the answer to the question being the book we're reading now, The Lies of Loch by Scott Lynch. And he had photos of the little package that we had sent him that included his Duke and Duchess T-shirt.
0: After much delay... Finally made it. We
1: finally, finally made it. It's transatlantic journey. So Ian James Crone said, uh, The twins, Caldo and Galdo, to the alchemist daughters. And he has a picture of Captain Hammer saying, The hammer is my penis.
0: I bet you didn't see that post. That's <laughs> hilarious.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Very, very good. I enjoyed it. Caldo quite a bit.
0: and Galdo are some of my favorite.
1: They're good. They're fun.
0: You know, the the dialogue and the character interactions in this book are fantastic
1: quite good quite good so we have two new itunes reviews one is a five-star review from an anonymous person so we don't know who you are but you know who you are and we thank you for it and also we have a five-star review from tim uh tim llbjj and he says i've been listening for far too long without reviewing this podcast i'm worth less than a bag of milk for not rating these two with five stars long before today (laughs) I will not pass go and will not be excuse me. I will not pass go and will be awarded with no lemon smelling box due to my atrocities. But on a positive note, I did finally get myself on here to give the Duke and Duchess their due. I love this podcast. You two have a wonderful dynamic and I hope you can continue to find books that Liz has read but Chad is reading for the first time. It reminds me of the first time I experienced the books that I love, and this is a wonderful thing indeed. I found this podcast just looking for extra king killer content and find myself waiting every week for your new episode to drop. Keep making episodes, and I will continue listening.
0: I have a little tear in my eye.
1: It's very, very touching.
0: Thank you, Tim.
1: So, yes, this has been a good episode. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to read again. All right. Through chapter 11.
0: Through chapter 11. Some content, I can't yo. wait. I'm going to be watching you <laughs> creepily as you read. No,
1: you're going to fall asleep because it's late as hell. It's late as hell. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else?
2: That's it. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Hello, Questers. This is Mandy, the host of Caster Quest, inviting you to enjoy our podcast where we explore the rich and vibrant world of Patrick Rothfuss's best selling fantasy series, The King Killer Chronicle soon to be adapted as a major motion picture and television show produced by the award-winning creator of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hungry for more content? Perhaps you will enjoy our recaps of HBO's Game of Thrones, Over the Garden Wall, animated Batman films, or our world-famous erotic fanfiction reads. Whatever you're in the mood for, if you love a good story, humor, impromptu parody songs, and thousands of pop culture references, You'll enjoy our show. You can find Cast Request on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, our amazing network, the Earth Station One Network at ESOPodcast.com.